Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri. My goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 445, Founding Alpha Architect by Wes Gray. And I remember in Barwana in that base camp there, there's this huge like mortar shell that smashed the side of a wall out and under it in like red letters said complacency kills. And, and the idea was, you know, every time you go on a patrol outside the wire, just always remember that the, the minute you think you won, you're dead. And, and, and so we, you know, I just kind of think that's a good attitude to have in, in business. And, and we're just lucky and frankly blessed that the number one competitor in our entire industry just is in our backyard. So every single day I'm looking down a bazooka and I know if we think we want anything, we're gonna get destroyed. There are so many reasons to listen to today's episode. First, finance. Wes was introduced to me by a Wall Street Journal article that my brother-in-law sent to me, basically saying, you gotta check this guy out. I'm still blown away that Wes has taken the time to speak with me. The Wall Street Journal article talked about how successful Wes has been in starting and growing his own asset management firm, which is extremely difficult to do. We talk about so much in this episode. We talk about how when Wes was in the midst of his PhD, he joined the Marines. We talk about how that experience has helped him get this far. We talk about why veterans are well-suited for fundraising. We talk about how to sell with a passion and how to find a mission you're excited about. And most importantly, we talk about the very simple secret to create success, which is to grind every day. I think you'll find Wes's experience both motivating and inspiring. As always, at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes for this episode, along with 444 other episodes just like this one. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Wes. Well, joining me today, just outside of Philadelphia in Broomall, Pennsylvania, is Wes Gray. Wes, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. So for listeners, I wanted to give a very brief background on Wes. Uh, He is the CEO and the CIO of Alpha Architect, which is a research-intensive asset management firm focused on delivering delivering sophisticated, tax-efficient, active exposures at affordable costs, which I'm hoping he will explain to us on the show. (laughs) Um, He started out at Wharton, where he earned a bachelor's degree in economics, after which he served as a Marine Corps ground intelligence officer for nearly four years. After his military service, he earned both his MBA and his PhD from the Chicago Booth School of Business, after which he started Alpha Architect. Um, I was uh, introduced to Wes through a Wall Street Journal article a friend sent me earlier this year, and that Wall Street Journal article started out, quote, Wesley Gray's value-focused fund of overseas stocks is beating all of its rivals over the past year. For him, it's almost beside the point, end quote. Uh, He is also the author of the book Embedded, a Marine Corps advisor inside the Iraqi army. Um, So, Wes, maybe to start out, um, take us through, you know, how you went from the Marine Corps to starting Alpha Architect. Sure. So, um, so my, I probably probably want to step back a little bit even before that because yeah. my approach in the Marine Corps was a little bit odd, and it actually spins back into how I start out for architect. So, so I actually was in a PhD program before I was in uh, you know besides to do my time in the service there. So I, I went in Chicago PhD programs 2002, uh, did two years there, and then in those programs. 
you do you basically you know get hazed your first two years and then you have to take these things called your comps um and at that point you're kind of done with the formal schoolwork and now you move to what they call abd or all but dissertation phase um and so i i'd spent two years in that phd program there you know doing finance and math you know 15 16 hours a day um kind of passed all the tests and and you know for me i just wanted to I don't, know, I don't know if I'd say take a break, but just, you know, do something different because I was a little bit younger. Um, and, you know, so I basically joined the Marine Corps, did that for four years, and then came back were, in were your, were your advisors and were your family, were they like, you are crazy? Or what was their reaction? Because I, um, I can't imagine a lot yeah, of people have done that before. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, you'd be surprised. There's actually a lot of military personnel in the PhD program there. Uh, a lot of times, like IDF, like Israeli dudes and everything. Um, just because I think they probably want to, you know, get super disciplined, motivated people because they can actually make it through, you know, the PhD program. So it was actually interesting when I, you know, was, had all this chatter about, you know, doing my time, you know, half the PhD program were like, yeah, of course you would do that. Why wouldn't you be in the service? Um, <laughs> people are like, well, that's weird. Um, but it's Chicago PhD program at that time. There's just a lot of Israeli, uh, folks in there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously like my mom was pissed off cause they don't ever want their babies to go, you know, in the service, but I think she understood, um, you know, my, my girlfriend slash, you know, ended up being my wife. She was like, you're insane, but she also knew, knew me. So she kind of, wasn't too surprised. And then <laughs> when I talked to my uh, advisors, uh, both of which are, which is weird, both are Nobel Prize winners now. Like Dick Thaler was uh, one of my advisors at the time, and then Eugene Fama as well. Um, Fama, I don't know if you know, or your listeners probably don't know him, but he's uh, kind of the short, wiry Italian guy who's super hardcore, you know, shows up to work every day at, you know, 5, 6 a.m. and just grinds even though he's you know super famous and probably has better better things to do and so i you know i told him about it he's like he's like yeah that's 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 interesting yeah where do i sign the paperwork and you know great go for it um so kind of like you know like cool yeah all good i support you and then you know dick Thaler, who who else he just actually won the nobel prize as well for uh behavioral finance basically which is just kind of saying that, you know, humans are crazy and, you know, screw things up all the time. Uh, he, he had obviously a much different uh, reaction. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? This is insane. Um, but, but then after I kind of said, hey, you know, no, I'm, I'm actually serious. He's, he's like, ah, right, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll support you. That's cool. Where do I sign? And, you know, all good. Um, so kind of, kind of a mixed bag uh, of reaction, I'd, I'd say. Mm. That's awesome. And so you uh, you kind of like take a break from the PhD process and you go into the Marines from there. Yeah, basically, uh, you know, so I, typically they give you a one-year sabbatical. So I had to apply, you know, that's why I had to get all the paperwork signed to do a four-year one. Um, and, and actually the good thing is the PhD director at the time, her, her husband was actually a, a Navy uh, guy who actually retired. So he spent his 20 years and so she kind of was, you know, amiable the whole service thing um but yeah did did my four years and then you know showed back up to the program and re-enrolled and you know had to basically kind of relearn you know everything and even my own papers i couldn't even understand but you know it's kind of like what do they say riding a bike you know uh <laughs> well, you, 
you may forget when you get back on, you, you, you figure it out real quick. Um, so yeah, I just started doing research and, you know, just grinding every day to, to graduate from that place. That's wild. And did you, um, I guess before you, you, you started the PhD process, did you know eventually you wanted to start your own fund or what, when did that idea yeah, come about? I, um, yeah, I had always been wanting to start my own business, uh, specifically like an asset management firm, like since I was a little kid, don't ask me why. Um, I just, I was always into like Warren Buffett. My, my late grandmother was into it as well and had me reading, you know, like Buffettology and Ben Graham books when I was like 12. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I was just, I just always like just liked finance stuff for some reason. And I always knew I wanted to, you know, run like asset management business because I just thought it was cool and interesting. Um, it's just a matter of like how the heck do you, you know, get people to give you money to manage and get paid for it is, you know, easier said than done. So <laughs> it took me a long time to get there, but I figured, Hey, I'll just try to get really smart and, you know, learn as much as I can about this subject. And then, you know, hopefully luck and circumstance, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Well, uh, you know, put me in a position where, you know, I can, you know, make something happen. And that's obviously what ended up, you know, occurring, but, uh, you know, my original plan was when I was 18 to have Warren Buffett call me up, give me a billion dollars and, you know, be retired when I was 20, but it didn't work <laughs> that out did, that way. That didn't pan out. Well, there's still time on that one. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but that, that was the hope and the dream, but that never panned out as planned. You know, for, for someone listening, let's say they're on active duty and they, they, you know, probably have an understanding that there is an industry that is finance related, but they probably don't know what an asset management firm is. How would you explain, yep. like, what is an asset management firm? Um, well, it depends who you ask. Obviously, I can just tell you what, what kind of we do. So, yep. so our job is, in many respects, it's kind of like being in the service or, you know, specifically like me, like in the Marines, where, you know, essentially we, we leverage processes and systems to basically accomplish a mission where our mission is to try to, you know, go build a, an algorithm or a system or an SOP, like standard operating procedure, to try to figure out how to pick stocks or bonds or whatever that, you know, hopefully, you know, generate some returns that are, that are better than just throwing darts at the wall. Um, you know, so, so maybe example, just because we've got a military op, uh, audience here, is, you know, take me back here because it's been about a decade since I was in the service, but I do remember like thing like SAFE where you were every put in like a defense position. You, you follow this SOP, you know, first you lay in security, next you put down automatic weapons like your, you know, 240s, what have you. You know, they do fields of fire, interlocking fires, and then you, you entrench. And, and what's the point of this, and why does every single Marine, you know, follow this model? Well, because this is tried and true. It works. It's, you know, burned with, with blood, lesson learned. You know, same thing what we do in the securities markets is we say, hey, we're going to identify SOPs. So, for example, we have like a, a systematic, quote-unquote, value algorithm. And what's it do? It buys cheap stocks. And these cheap stocks have indications of good fundamental quality. And we just follow that SOP. Just like a Marine, if he's getting shot at, laying in a defense position, you follow the safe SOP. We, we, we kind of have the same viewpoint. We just follow operating procedures that we think make sense and are you know, tried and true. And we, we use those to try to you know, make money, basically, in, the, in stock markets effectively. 
And and what was your um, how would you explain like what your your focus was for your PhD and like how how did it relate to helping you figure out how to do that? Well, so I mean, writing a PhD is a lot of times a lot different than uh, you know practical world. Um, that's why they call it the ivory tower. Mm-hmm. Um, so so from in my situation, I had kind of one part. It was a theory paper, just trying to understand why you know smart people specifically smart investors would ever share information with one another mm-hmm. um because i mean for a lot of people it's like well of course you share information with your friends to kind of learn stuff what have you but in financial markets is actually a puzzle why would you ever find like a really smart stock picker who would share that information with his friends because he wants to kind of hoard that for himself um so i wrote a whole theory about you know basically why people do that and you know, there's a lot of reasons for it, but but essentially, people like to share good ideas with other smart people because sometimes that other smart person may give you an insight that you didn't even think about. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's kind of a quid pro quo, you know, it could be a win-win. Um, so anyways, that was like the theory. But then there happened to be a uh, organization called, which just still exists to this day, called Value Investors Club. is It's basically a fancy message board for you know hedge fund managers and you know, sophisticated stock pickers where they would basically submit, you know, pretty complex pitches on different stock ideas, like, a, you know, a 10-page article on why, you know, Disney's undervalued. Um, it, it would initially be shared just with the internal members of this club. I think it was at the time it was maxed at around 250. So it was kind of like an awesome, you know, in, a little uh, – I guess, research lab where I could say, hey, this is a, a scenario where there's all these great ideas being posted to this message board that are kind of private and shared amongst the select group of people that, that keep sharing good ideas with one another. That's, one, not predicted by ec- any economic theory that I know of. And, two, this is just interesting in its own right. And, and I end up reading literally at every single you know, stock pick that they ever submitted this deal is like three or four thousand of them, and I just cataloged them in a database and you know did all this work to try to ascertain like, hey, are these ideas they're sharing, you know, actually good? Like, do they mm-hmm. quote unquote beat the market? And it, it turned out they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, that's I mean, I guess that helped me now because I you know read every stock pitch on the planet Earth for about <laughs> ten years. Um, so I kind of. You know, heard it all and saw it all at some point, so that was kind of useful. But um, it was mainly just the intellectual, you know, PhD exercise more than anything. It's not not 100 percent applicable. Sorry, applicable to what we, you know, what we do in our business now. But at the margin, it might be. And and so, how did you go from you know getting a PhD to starting a fund? Like, how does one go about starting their own um, asset management firm? Well. Typically, you got to be born into a lot of money. That's the easiest methodology. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that was not me. I was not part of the the guy that helped us out. The, they call it the Lucky Sperm Club. <laughs> I was not not in that club, unfortunately. Um, so I guess I had to do it the old-fashioned way, which is get lucky. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So what I... I've always been big about, uh, you know, just doing techniques to try to discipline yourself to actually do the work. And, you know, for me, it was all about reading source journal literature in, in academic, you know, finance journals. And, you know, you can sit there and say, oh, I'm going to go read one article a day, but unless there's some, 
you know, mechanism to force you to do that, you won't do it. So I used to have a blog, and I still do, where I would just write about, you know, geeky papers, you know, way back in the day, not really expect anyone to actually read this stuff, but, you know, it's just for me, it was a great way to force myself to, you know, actually read the article and try to understand it. Mm. So I set that up, and then I actually went on the academic job market. So I was, you know, basically going to be a professor, which I, I went on that market, and that's exactly what happened. But the exact same time that I was basically getting my, my academic job, I, I literally got cold called by a billionaire um, this guy named Eddie Stern, who's they're part of a huge real estate family in New York, and and they were just transitioning out of the 08 crisis, and they're like, you know what, we're getting rid of all these damn hedge fund managers. Like we got to control our own money, we got to control our own taxes, we got to lower costs. We want to go quant, and we need someone to help us out here. And he's like, I've been reading your blog. I, you know. <laughs> You're the guy I want to talk to. I was like, all right, this is cool. A billionaire's calling me. Um, and so, you know, we kind of hit it off. Um, you know, we basically started consulting for those guys while I was kind of starting up also as a professor. And, you know, we just worked with them for a couple of years. Um, and the guy that was assigned to me actually as my research assistant when I started my professor job at uh, Drexel was this guy named Jack Vogel, who's currently, uh, you know, one of my business partners. And it's just convenient that, you know, we got along really well. We, we've been doing research for since the very beginning. And, and we kind of were doing this kind of consulting thing on the side. And then I, I told Eddie, I was like, hey, man, I was like, if, if, you know, if we do a really good job, like, you know, you got tons of money. If we whoop it on for you, you know, could you give us a shot? you know, the asset manager business. I don't really want to be a consultant my whole life, um, you know, which is cool, but that's just not what I always wanted to do. And he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it works out. So basically worked for those guys. And then 2012, they gave us um, 20 million to manage account, and that quickly ramped up to 50, and it, which obviously gave us kind of, you know, capital base to, you know, get the popsicle stand going. Um and that's what we did, and then and then we just we just kept doing what we'd always done. We just did research, you know, did blogs, did education, and then somehow, some way, people just would find us and reach out, and they say, "Hey, well, you know, I read your stuff. This seems cool. How do I do it?" And yes, we just built the business that way, kind of inbound marketing, I guess you'd call it. I I love that your twenty year old self or eighteen year old self had that vision of. Warren Buffett calling you up and offering your job, and and you were right about the billionaire calling you and giving your job. You just had the wrong billionaire. That's that's pretty yeah, wild. Yeah, I had the wrong billionaire, and it was about twenty years or fifteen years later, um, and they didn't just give us the money. Uh, <laughs> it took a lot more time and effort, but uh, but hey, you know, I, I was I was ho I was hoping for good things in the in my early days. I was a little bit more naive. I, I do love, though, I love this thought of um, recognizing it's going to be difficult to do research just independently. And so starting the blog and having that, it sounds like it's a catalyst for you to, uh, you know, routinely be doing research and writing and sharing. And I, it's, it's incredible that from that, you know, you're, you're sharpening your skills, but you're also starting to get an audience. And that leads to some incredible yeah. people coming to you and, and, and bringing opportunities that would probably never have come your way if they didn't see that blog because you were posting so often that's just uh, a really incredible yeah um and, and i think no, that, one, yeah yeah 
100%. And, and obviously it was good timing because we kind of hit it right when blogs weren't that cool. Mm. But we just happened to be doing it anyways. Um, and the Internet's taken over. And, and I think, I mean, that, that basically what we're talking about here is distribution. And, and normally you can't get into asset management or the finance business unless you have distribution, which means you're at Wall Street at a bank. But the Internet has kind of disrupted all businesses where you don't need an intermediary dis- distribution agent anymore. You can go direct consumer because people can go on Google and find you. Yep. And, and so to the extent you're writing good content, you know, being genuine, being authentic, and trying to add value, you know, nowadays people will find you. Um, so we just got lucky that we were able to scale without – literally any sales like we don't even ha- we don't have salespeople, which is absurd for a <laughs> people are like what you don't have distribution we're like no we just do what we want every day and write blogs and you know talk about research and that is our distribution apparently and, um, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask about I, I've gotten feedback from our listeners one of the things they really like hearing about is just understanding what each person's day-to-day life looks like. And I'm wondering, could you just kind of walk us through a hypothetical day, like what time you get to the office, what sort of things you're doing yeah. throughout the day? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, I mean, my is very odd and totally unique and insane and not normal. Um, just to preface this, so, so I actually am, am kind of a productivity efficiency uh, anal retentive person. So I actually built an office in my house um, because I hate commuting. We also have a like a gym here, like a CrossFit gym. So I, I've tried to to build my life around you know maximizing time where I can still hang out with my family and do that stuff, but also maximize my opportunity to to work and get stuff done. Um, so so I, I I'm literally here in my I guess compound all the time. Um, which, which again is a little bit not standard, especially for like a finance business. But I, I get up early, like six o'clock, start grinding because it, it's my you know two three hours of first one kind of where I can just focus and write and think about stuff. Um, and it, you know, usually most like trading guy, like we have you know seven eight guys that come in every day. Um, and then you know once the day starts, I'm usually getting you know, pulled hair there to, you know, put out fires or whatever. Um, we grind till about, I don't know, four, four, four thirty-five, And then, you know, we do PT, um, you know, just like in the military. So we'll go haze ourselves, run around, run laps around the blocks, do kettlebells, what have you. Um, and I come in and I, I usually keep grinding till around, you know, six, six thirty. And then my wife will start yelling at me and then go eat dinner, hang out with the kids, put them to bed. And then I used to drive from, you know, 8, 8.30 to 10 and then just do that every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just grind, dude. Every day I put my time in. It's not really, it's, it's not that glamorous, to be honest. Do, um, you, um, do, you, do you end up working the weekends or are you able to unplug on the weekends? Um. Usually I work on the weekends. Uh, you know, I, I try to be cognizant of, uh, you know, mindfulness and, and trying to clear my brain. Yep. So, and, and I usually just do that through PT. So I'll, I'll just, you know, go haze myself and 
I'm in like an old guy's soccer game. Um, and I, and I do try to unplug as best I can, but, but obviously, you know, we're entrepreneurial and there's, you know, I'm kind of the guy in charge of things. So I, I gotta, you know, if there's something to be done, yeah, I gotta kind of do it. So it's, yeah, I, I usually don't get weekends totally off, but, uh, but sometimes I do, um, and, and try my best to, you know, minimize that, but you know, it just is what it is sometimes. And and I'm trying to get my head around this compound. So is this like a big like warehouse of which part of it is kind of your living area and part of it's like the, uh, the team offices? It's really hard to explain unless you've been here. And on Twitter, uh, you know, it's actually kind of becoming a legend in the sense that when you come here, you get a picture. We have a, a grizzly bear in the office, um, and I post it. But essentially, I got this place from a guy. He had uh, terminal cancer. And it was kind of a weird fix-upper thing. He was a former, uh, really famous big-game hunter. So it's this house. It was like 2,500 square foot, and he built this huge trophy room. It's like 15, 1,600 square foot extension. It's just like a big like hall you'd see in like a, I guess like an Aspen, you know, mm. lodge or something. But it's in the middle of the suburbs in Broomall, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and then he also built a man cave. Uh, about 1,500 square foot. So when when I saw this joint, I, you know, I got thinking. I was like, "Guy, right, this is this is a value investment because you know it's kind of chaotic." I was like, "You know, I could do something with this." So we basically turned the man cave into an office. We kind of turned the um, you know the great room, trophy room, and kind of a you know conference area, hangout area. You know, it's basically like a massive room to just you know host things. Um, and then there's actual house here too. Um, yeah. And so it worked out perfect. So it's got, I got a pretty big driveway and then we have another structure backyard that, that used to be, uh, kind of a garage for all his landscaping stuff like equipment. Mm. And we just blew all that out and put like a bunch of gym stuff in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, you'd have to show up. We we also have a bunch of legacy taxidermy. So we got like a, <laughs> a leopard, uh, you know, a few like bighorn sheep, a grizz. We got. <laughs> I guess you have to be here to to kind of to get a good sense of uh, you know the situation. It's like I said, very very non-standard. <laughs> and um, and you know that time I'm I'm thinking particularly before the rest of the office crew shows up that that peaceful time in the morning when you have a little bit of time to yourself. What is that like? Are yeah. you just like you're just reading everything you can and just learning and writing and thinking? I I, I picture you as kind of the king of the cocktail party. You just constantly taking in information and knowing everything about everything. Is there a, a better way um, to describe it to listeners? Yeah, yeah. So, so what I do is I use you in the morning. Um, you know, I get I've kind of pruned down like my, my information flow where I, I have a lot of sources and, and I just, just keep tabs on like things I want to look at. Yep. It's usually just you know academic papers. So, I, and I've gotten haven't been doing this for so many years. I, I've gotten super efficient at kind of you know screening out the bullshit. I guess mm. would be the the French term for, for it. But you just, yeah, I just get, get down to the meat and potatoes of like, Hey, these three or four articles kind of interesting. I dig a little bit deeper. And then to the extent that I think it, you know, has a useful insight or something that maybe other investors would be interested in, you know, I'll just, you know, write a summary or write a blog post on it. Um, and, and, and more and more to be honest though, because we've gotten such a huge platform, 
like I, I've actually kind of moved more towards even like an editorial role where we've got so many guest writers now and content for my team. It's a full-time job just, you know, figuring out what to write about, reviewing other people's stuff, sending them back feedback so they can send it back to me. So I, I do a lot of that as well, just almost like, you know, it's like running a newspaper, I guess, at some level. But <laughs> another part of my role is just being an editor, I guess, of the blog. <laughs> um, you know, given the, the other veterans you know, I'm just curious, like, what's what's your thoughts on why someone listening to the show may love a career like this? And what are some indications that they may really not like this sort of career? Yeah, I mean, it's basically the entrepreneurial career um so you know to the extent you like challenges you you're good at just grinding it out and you you know you can take a lot of pain and you never give up um it's a great thing um and and obviously you know no pain no gain you know so there's a lot of like pain and anguish but to the extent you love challenges you know i recommend it for anybody um the other downside of it is that there is no like in the military kind of you get told what to do at level you know, obviously, in our situation, you figure out what to do. There is no boss. Like, like I don't have a boss or anyone like tells me what to do every day. You, you literally got to figure it out. So it's very like free form and you know creative, and and you're always you know trying to come up with new ideas. But for some people, that's you know extremely nerve wracking because you know it's stressful, chaotic. Your cortisol cortisol starts spiking. Um, but to the extent you like that. Uh, you know, I think it's great. Now, finance industry specifically, not to be a Debbie Downer, but this business is adapting and changing very dramatically where, you know, if you don't have scale, you don't have a very niche kind of uber specialized skill set. Um, it's hard to compete, frankly. Like the days of you know, throwing up a plaque and saying, hey, I'm going to start up a hedge fund, charge 2 and 20 and, you know, someone will give you money. You know, it's just numbered. Um, so, so our specific industry, unless you got a very niche skill set or you can really grind hard for a long, long time, you know, I'd say vets probably have better opportunities in, in things like, yeah, I know a lot of guys like an operating companies like oil, gas, or going to go run like a PE turnaround, things like that where, you know, military skill sets are, are much more transferable, but, you know, obviously running like quant finance models is, is not exactly a, you know, a typical skill set that, you know, most military veterans have. I, you know, I was kind of unique. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough business to be in right now. Um, so it, I, I would think tread lightly if you, if you wanted to get into the asset manager business, mm. unless you really knew what you were getting into as a, as a veteran. What was that like um, seeing that Wall Street Journal article? I mean, that's got to be pretty crazy to get such great, incredible recognition. You know, man, I've, I always tell people I'd rather be rich than famous. Mm. Um, but apparently I just got to be famous to get rich. <laughs> and, you know, I've, at this point, I, I've been on every podcast. I've, I've been on the cover of Barron's. Wall Street <laughs> we had a big spread in New York Times. Call recording off. Just don't really, uh, it, it just, you know, I don't, it, I don't let it go to my head. Which, you know, I still, you know, I got three kids and I wipe shitty diapers up and I get up at six and grind every day like every other guy. So, I, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that special. And, 
you know, it's just, it just is what it is. Like, you know, it's just, I got a story, but everyone's got a story. And, you know, I got lucky that mine was on Wall Street Journal and others aren't, but mm. it really doesn't, it doesn't really affect me. I don't, I don't really think about that much, to be honest. And, and um, how, how has life changed? I guess, you know, you've been at this seven plus years. You've got a team of uh, 15 or so around you now. H- how yeah. is your day-to-day life different now than in that first year when you were just getting things off the ground? You know, it's really not. We're, we're still in the same offices. Um, you know, we have better computers. And, you know, we, we obviously are making some money now. We used to just light it on fire. Um <laughs> So, so that's obviously a little bit nicer, but, but we have a philosophy of like uh, what we call being a cockroach entrepreneur again, because we, a lot of your uh, viewers and listeners probably don't maybe know our business. So I'll give a little context, but there's this firm called Vanguard in, in our business and they're like the 800 pound gorilla, you know, just destroying everyone. And if you're not competing at like the razor's edge, you're dead. Well, they happen to be 10 minutes up the road from here, and this whole community, I'm surrounded by those folks. So, you know, I kind of know where the 800-pound gorilla is, and I know how to act and operate and what i got to do to win. Mm. And it involves just being a cockroach. So, you know, being living way under your means, doing, you know, doing more with less, being in a shitty office, you know, <laughs> just grinding every day. So and that philosophy, honestly... We, I mean, it hasn't really changed. Like, I, we don't really do anything different than we did, you know, when we started this popsicle stand seven, eight years ago. We just, you know, have nicer gear and, you know, more folks around to, you know, help me get things done where I'm not, you know, doing compliance, doing trading and, you know, doing everything. That Now I got people and, and teammates that can help me, you know, accomplish a mission a little more efficiently. But, I mean, honestly, we just keep doing the same thing, just, just grind it out and, you know, work hard every day. That's awesome, man. I just respect that too. I imagine having the, the enemy around the corner is like motivating because it causes you yeah. to push yourself more. But I love that thought of not resting on your laurels and just kind of the things that, that made you successful to get here are the things that are gonna keep you successful to get further. And it's, um, it's awesome to think of just not stepping back and coasting, but just continuing to push with everything you've got. Yeah, well, there's... Um... I mean, I, I'll never forget, but I was deployed in Haditha, uh, which is out in El Elmar province in 2006, and, and I, I had to go hang out in this place called Barwana and at the patrol base there. Like, I used to be with the Iraqi dudes, but we were, we were having to be hanging out with Marines this time. And I remember in Barwana, in that base camp there, there was this huge, like, mortar shell that had smashed the side of a wall out, and under it, in, like, red letters said, complacency kills. Mm. And, and the idea was, you know, every time you go on a patrol outside the wire, you know, just always remember that the, the minute you think you've won, you know, everyone else is reacting and the enemy's thinking, you know, if you think you won, you're dead. Um, and, and so we, you know, I just kind of think that's a good attitude to have in, in business. And, and we're just lucky and frankly blessed that the number one competitor in our entire industry just is in our backyard. So every single day, you know, I'm looking down a bazooka and I know if we think we want anything, we're going to get destroyed. So, so we, we just have the, the, you know, the, the luck of having availability bias every day and, you know, having to, you know, deal with them in our backyard, which is 
you know, blessing and a curse, I guess. That's awesome. What What about for a um, a veteran who's who's listening? Who, you know, a lot of what you're saying resonates, but they're not looking to start their own firm. Is there any advice on kind of career paths that might have someone join an asset management firm? You know, not, without necessarily starting their own. Yeah, there there's a few of them. I mean, again, the problem with the business is it's getting so computerized and automated. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we manage almost $800 million right now, and there's really only, you know, seven of us that are full-time, and then the rest are like 1099s and contractors and, you know, people that are bolted on. But, you know, so you just don't need humans anymore. What you need is humans that know how to program computers in, in our business, and more and more you know, you got to be really careful about the path you pick because you may put a ton of time and effort in in our industry and realize there's, you know, whatever, five jobs to for everyone across the whole board. It's just a bad trend. Um, so w- what I say is if you want to get into, like, what we're doing, asset management kind of in, you know, systematic quant kind of bigger scale versus, you know, say like a two-and-twenty Uber, Uber niche like hedge fund business, You've got to be extremely tech savvy. Um, so if you, if you can get programming skills, technical skills, and just be super knowledgeable about markets, that's obviously one route. And, and you got to be really good at that. Um, another route, and, and frankly, it's one that I think veterans are, are probably well suited for, is in the end, no matter how smart you are, how many computers you got, or what have you, the bottom line of asset management is you got to get money and convince people to invest with you. And one of the things I think veterans have just from dealing with all walks of life and all kinds of problems is they have very high emotional IQ mm. or kind of this ability to you know, interact and, and you know, work with people and gain their trust and have integrity and all that good stuff. And I think that's a key element of fundraising. So in fundraising capability is something that, all asset managers for all time will always pay huge dollars for. So to the extent that you feel like you have high emotional IQ, you know, you feel like you're good at building relationships, you're smart enough to kind of understand what's going on and you can communicate that to folks that, you know, maybe don't have PhDs in finance or engineering or what have you. I think anything like that is, is, is a way to make a lot of money down the road um, and it's something where I think veterans can kind of weave their way through along a career path to get there. They yep. basically become a fundraiser. Um, it's like yeah, a, you know. it's like a dual edged sword. Cause I think, you know, just from other interviews, it's like, I think veterans, like you said, they're trustworthy. They have huge, you know, emotional intelligence and they've got that yep. relatability. And it seems like one of the most difficult things for veterans to get their head around is how to sell without feeling slimy, how to, you know, how to yeah. make those relationships without like, or how to approach networking without feeling sleazy about it. And so it's like, yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying. It's just like, if, if the listener, you know, can, can reconcile a way of um, selling that's authentic for them, I think that they bring a mm-hmm. lot of assets to bear in that fundraising mindset. Definitely. And, and what I recommend it is for people, because, you know, I'm like that. A lot of people are like that. Like, I hate selling unless I'm selling something that I am passionate about and I love and yeah. I do with my own money and everything. Then it's not selling. It's just it's spreading the gospel. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I, I think to the extent that you just you can find a firm, you find a culture where where it motivates you to show up every day, and you're actually excited about the mission. Like like our firm mission is empower investors for education. So to the extent that you like helping people out, you like educating. You know, you could be selling them freaking ice cubes, but but who cares? As long as you got that passion for that mission to like help people out and better understand markets, you know, it's not selling. It's you know, it's it's what you like to do, um, and, and then, then you can kind of get around this this whole feeling slimy thing, which you know I agree with. Like if you ask me, like, hey, go go sell insurance for Prudential, I'd be like, well, how about I go hang from the rafters instead? <laughs> um, you know, it's just yeah not going to turn me on, but, you know, but if it's something I like, then I'm all in, man. Yep. Uh, and I think, you know, veterans are the same way. Um, so they've got to really find something they really believe in yep. if, if they're not going to create the product or the service themselves, yep. just, you know, attach to a star and then, and then sell that mm. and, and believe in it and learn about it and you'll be all good. Mm. Um, I, I always like to leave listeners with um, resources, you know, something that even if they're uh, on a ship right now, maybe they're pulling into a port next week, something that they could pick up, maybe a book or a podcast or a program or just something that you think, you know, has helped you in your career that might help them if they're interested in this path. Is there any book or resource you would recommend to them? Sure. I got a, I got a laundry list from from com or from simple to, to complex. Probably, I think blogs are probably the best and podcasts. So at the simple end, uh, there's a, a blog called wealthofcommonsense.com. Uh, it's uh, done by a friend of mine named Ben Carlson. And he does do some complex things, but he's very good at just doing basic ideas and finance and investing and communicating it in a way that I think it's easy for people to understand. Um, and then on the other spectrum is, is probably like, you know, our blog at Alpha Architect where it's, you know, it's more geeky, but to the extent you, you want to learn the research and you want to get in the weeds, I mean, that's, that's literally the whole mission of our website is to help people that want to be investors do that. But it, it is at, a, at another level. And as far as pods, you, you know, Pat O'Shaughnessy's got a great podcast called Best Like with the Best, I think. Uh, Meb Faber's got a great podcast. Um, there's the Investors podcast by uh, Preston and Stig. Preston's actually an Army uh, veteran. Um, so those are all good. And, and also just get on Twitter. Like Twitter's uh, like a poor resource in many aspects of life, but in finance specifically, there's a great community of kind of young, you know, up and coming folks that are in the business, and they're very helpful. And you know, it, it's very win-win versus kind of dog-eat-dog mentality. So just get on Twitter and start following people that you like and are interesting. You know, Josh Brown's a good one, the foreign broker. Um, I think that right there will get you started on your way. That's awesome. Um, Well, I always like to leave the last word for my guest. And, um, you know, I just ask, we've covered so many different topics that I think will be helpful to listeners, but I always like to turn it over to you for some final words of wisdom. If there's anything we haven't covered that you want to share with listeners, I'll uh, pass the mic over to you. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any special advice except you know, grind every day and work hard. Um, the one thing I would say 
just from from being around a lot of people in our business, which tends to kind of smoke people out a lot because they work 100 hour weeks and go crazy. Is you know if you don't if you're not eating right, if you're not sleeping right, and if you're not doing your PT, you know, you're not keeping machine finely tuned. You know your mind ain't gonna work, and just your life's gonna suck. So I think just always find time to you know eat well. You know if you can try to get your 78 hours of sleep, and, and always try to get your PT in. Uh, just because I think that'll keep you efficient, keep your mind clear, and you know it's just it's really just it's all about fundamentals. You know, shoot, move, communicate. You know that's all the military is all about. Well, life's all about you know eating, sleeping, and PTing, and working, and having fun. Um, it's really not that complicated. So you know, just focus on the fundamentals. You'd probably be all right. Yeah, this is awesome. Well, Wes, I appreciate your taking time out of the busy schedule at the compound and uh, taking a break from researching and all that you do to uh, to share this words of wisdom with the Beyond the Informed community. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, Justin. Uh, appreciate it, and, and thank you for doing what you do. I think it's uh, you know, a great podcast, and I, I actually am a huge fan and listener myself, so keep up the good work. Surface, surface, surface. <laughs> So last year, I've done it two years in a row, but there's this uh, this 28-mile ruck march uh, hosted by the Pennsylvania National Guard. It's called March of the Fallen. And, and the idea is you, you're, just, you're out there just hustling and, and working hard to just, you know, be thankful that you can still feel pain, you know, because obviously a lot of people don't anymore. Um, it's a great event. It's, it's not about money at all. It's like 30 bucks. But you're out there in, in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of PA, and, and what I do, uh, or at least what we did last year, what I'm going to do again next year, is I get a bunch of barracks up there, and we host like a you know fairly large group of you know big big money people, movers and shakers, and you know just people that are you know just good folks that are great for networking and trying to do good things in society, uh, and we're out there you know sweating together with the. Uh, you know, the billionaires and the millionaires and the, you know, broke plumbers that don't have a job, but we're all, we're all in it to win it. And it's, uh, you know, great event. It's next September. If you just follow our blog um, or shoot me an email, I'll put you on my list. Um, but it's just great opportunity for, for vets that are out of the service or even in the service, kind of reconnect your roots and, uh, you know, just, you know, kind of honor the fallen, basically. Um, that's so, awesome. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll add more uh, info on the show notes for listeners on that too. Definitely check that out next September 2018. It sounds like an incredible event. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, we, we did. Like I said, we did it this last year, and a lot of people, especially if you're not from like a military culture, you know, I think it was very moving for them because they're like, "Holy cow! Like this is real," you know, because you got gold star families out there. Um, and so I think if you got like civilian buddies who are, you know, just into PT and into doing right, you know, it's a great thing to invite them to because it's it's a much more moving event for them even than for service members because because we're kind of used to that that whole thing. But uh, for civilians, like pure civilians, it's you know it's a very you know moving event and I think a good thing for them. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. 
Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career and life.